0: To the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw at AmericanBar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection.
1: Welcome to another one of our programs on purpose driven organizations dedicated to making a positive economic, social, and environmental impact on our world. We're having a series of conversations with people who are committed to making a difference by contributing their time, expertise, and experience to supporting these organizations and participating in the development of new solutions for achieving sustainability. The series is sponsored and supported by the business law section of the American Bar Association, which has over 50,000 members and has just published the Corporate Social Responsibility Deskbook. Sales of the Deskbook have been gratifying, and these podcasts provide a great opportunity to provide more information within the legal community and to entrepreneurs, directors, executives, managers, investors, and others interested in one of the most important global topics of our time. I'm Alan Gutterman of Gutterman PC, working in the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Area and I'm your host for the series and one of the co-editors and authors of The Desk Book. Today we'll be hearing from Travis Miller, one of my co-editors and author of the chapter on the evolution of CSR in The Desk Book. We'll have Travis tell us more about himself during the conversation, but for now let me set the stage by telling you that Travis is an international trade and compliance attorney who specializes in global anti-corruption and anti-slavery codes of conduct, environmental health and safety, product stewardship, and corporate social responsibility. Travis manages Ascent's worldwide legal activities, advises the board of directors on legal matters, and oversees corporate compliance governance initiatives and other commercial transactions. Before coming to Ascent, he served in various high-level council positions with companies such as Microchip Technology, Foresight Group, and St. Jude Medical. Travis, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today and share your experience and purpose with our listeners. And I also want to take a minute to thank you for all the good work that you did in helping us get the desk book done in a timely and, and fashion, um, overseeing several of the chapters on your own. Uh, we couldn't have done it without you. And, um, Uh, We much appreciate it, and uh, I'm delighted that we have the opportunity to keep the process going forward with these podcasts. Let's start with a real quick overview of where you work and um, who you work with.
0: Sure thing. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alan. Um, So I work with a company named uh, Sent Compliance. Uh, since an international organization focused on uh, software, particularly looking at supply chain due diligence and inquiries, and then taking that data and helping the companies make informed business decisions, uh, generally around their products, uh, product compliance, those are materials, market access requirements, uh, vendor-based management. So these are generally business continuity or financial risks. And then lastly, thing, corporate social responsibility, arenas, uh where we tend to focus very much on um, the actual goodwill and uh, the various other brand implications that could come from significant either fines, penalties, or exposés. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the title for the book includes Corporate Social Responsibility, or CSR, but uh, as, as we've discussed before and uh, talked a lot about in, in in some programs we've already done on the subject. Uh, there are a lot of different ideas about what's going on in this area. Uh, I've asked each of my guests to take a few minutes to share with us their understanding of some of the different buzzwords and concepts such as CSR and ESG sustainability purpose uh, impact and and any other terms that that are used and and how you go about trying to explain that to uh, your clients and colleagues and friends and and family members who ask, uh, you know, what it is you're doing and and why is it
0: important? Yeah, absolutely. It's a tricky definition and one that's changed quite a bit through time and one that I would argue is changing even more so now than it ever has historically. Uh, I mean, I wrote the chapter on the history of, of a lot of these activities, and, you know, a lot of them started off with voluntary principles, You know, somebody wanted to do something, they wanted to do it as a way uh, to either breed additional recognition or uh, to try to establish some value or to kind of articulate and uh, demonstrate their baseline corporate principles, their ethic and who they were. Uh, What you're finding more and more in this day and age is that most of the things that were at one point, you know, voluntary initiatives have now gravitated towards mandatory requirements. Uh, Usually either a result of catastrophic events that generated laws uh, and other legal requirements or just a trend towards this became the norm. And as a norm, it now became codified as something that everybody would have to do, Um, which then kind of leads into the newest trend, which is this ESG. Um, So I would quantify ESG as the ability for investors uh, trying to seek uh, to understand the financial implications ramifications of this new suite of corporate social responsibility laws. Uh, the way I tend to think about it is the associated impact. As uh, so I mentioned, uh, my company, Ascent, You know, works in three principal areas. So if you think about product compliance and you know, the downstream implications, you know, our companies are basically a sum of components, the things that we produce, uh, the elements that we source, the partners we work with. And in the product space, if you have materials of concern, you know things that are regulated, uh, certain requirements you have to meet to gain access uh, to a new market, and you fail to do so, you end up with a loss of TAM, or total addressable market. Uh, if you think about the vendor management landscape and the, the various business continuity risks, you know massive trade tariffs and new country of origin requirements and disclosures, uh, you know major geographic or even health scares like coronavirus that's going on right now. Those implications tend to associate very much with financial implications. You know the cost of doing business of engaging with that supplier, and how it's going to impact the cost and value of your goods, and then lastly that corporate social responsibility suite. You know really goes down to a tactical level, and you know what are the brand implications of an anti-corruption uh, probe or uh, human trafficking finding related to my suppliers. Uh, but really, you know, if you look up into that ESG space and what investors really care about. They're looking at it at that line item that exists on everybody's 10k which says goodwill and you know, will somebody want to continue to buy from me am i somebody that's going to be a valued partner and i think that's really where things are trending you know it's really understanding the implications of our very interwoven societies and our supply chains and businesses and how that translates in traditional economic principles
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, as, as I've spoken to to other folks in the series here, that you know they have they have done as you have to to encourage us to talk to people about uh, things outside of uh, CSR. CSR often often being uh, thought of as uh, more philanthropic sorts of activities. And uh, ESG and sustainability and impact being, uh, you know, being a different lens on things. Um, Travis, you know, I, I think folks would be interested in learning a little bit more about, uh, you know, your background. How did you you came to be doing what you do today? What 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 triggers along the way caused you to get interested in uh, in in corporate social responsibility and and the various other things that you do on a day-to-day basis.
0: Sure. Well, I think at kind of root principles, uh, I'm a hazmat guy. Um, You know, I used to work in, uh, you know, the hazmat field. Uh, My first kind of associate's degree was to allow me to be a first responder, Uh, you know, the guy that goes and responds to catastrophic events. Mm. Uh, from there, my, my wife started to get a little worried uh, that why my hair might be falling yeah. out. Uh, <laughs> <all the> chemical <laughs> exposures. <laughs> so I went to environmental um, due diligence and started doing more of the science-based uh, work. And then um, eventually kind of the hallmark event for me was, uh, you know, the crash uh, that came about during the Great Recession uh, when all the housing starts and all the activities started to dry up. Uh, I just so happened to have been taking the LSAT and found my way into a legal career um, following that and kind of rode out uh, the worst of the recession uh, in law school over at Marquette. Um, Coming out, I had just an absolute fascination for how I could blend those two things. and I started to see more and more, you know, the ethic, you know, how it is that companies tend to view themselves, uh, what it is that they do. Uh, that really contributes to a lot of the activities that I saw during the Great Recession and and how laws became the meaningful way for people to be governed and to set standards and norms. Uh, So I was able to kind of weave those two integrated topics together and uh, that kind of led to just a series of fortunate events as uh, new global regulations passed that drove new changes within businesses and allowed me to become a a bit of an expert in the space.
1: Interesting. Uh, you're not the first person that we, we've spoken to that that had some, some some interesting twists and turns over the last uh, few decades that that led them to where they are. Uh, several of our guests in the series um, have have a science-based background. I'd say that that they worked in bef- like you before before they went to law school, which which I think. You know, still drives and, and, and educates a lot of what they do uh, today. I guess, as you know, there's a lot of as things get even more sophisticated, and you, and you must have this with, with you know the the, the immense amounts of, of, of data that that you and your customers work with to try and put the reports together. Um, you know, there's a call for people to as they develop standards to our, to bring a science-based. Uh, Rigor to to what's going on. Uh, the other thing you mentioned is um, several of our, at least at least one of our of our guests um, told me about how um, their move into uh, the sustainability area was driven by uh, the recession. Uh, really is that they were already in law practice but as, as a as a practical matter um, as traditional business uh, dried up it was an opportunity for them to um, go into areas that that were new and different initially on a pro bono basis but eventually became the core of their practice um, today uh, you know we, we did a program together a few months ago and 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 you spoke to the audience about really what you did on a day-to-day basis i thought it was i thought it was really interesting to me uh perhaps you could share with with the listeners uh a little more on the specifics of what your days are like uh, uh you know what you're what you do for for customers and clients as as they contact you and and uh, that sort of thing
0: sure yeah it's um a very interesting or kind of different legal practitioner's role Um, My day-to-day activity is really bifurcated into two uh, roles, uh, largely because I I was an early uh, person in a rapidly growing startup. Uh, And uh, when you're early on, uh, you tend to wear a lot of hats. (laughs) Um, So I'd say probably about 50% of my time or greater is spent with direct client outreach, uh, communication to clients of my client, uh, which is a sin um and that time is really most value driven uh, by how i can explain and take the technical nuances combine them with the legislative history uh, of the rules that are impacting people and really get down to a layer beneath uh, a standardized form or a document and educate the why you know why are people asking for this what's the end purpose going to be in receiving these documents uh, and then the other half of my day is generally bundled with more traditional legal work, uh, whether it be policies, development, um, various contractual uh, agreements, uh, financial implications. I work very closely with the CFO, uh, with the senior management, you know, briefings on uh, privacy concerns and other changes that are coming down the road. Uh, so uh, a bit of a, a renaissance or an old school uh, lawyer that I had to know a little bit, a whole bunch, a lot of things. <laughs> mm
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow, you know, that's, that's, uh, that that, I'm sure that keeps you busy. And I'm, you know, as, as a general counsel, um, you know, many of the folks who are very interested in this topic and we're, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, about the book and where where things are going about that in a minute. But, um, um, general counsel have been very interested in this because uh, they are searching for ways to, um, manage their days and integrate uh, sustainability SG into what's already a you know a pretty loaded plate and everything so I suspect that you could probably give some good guidance to to people uh, who call you and say travis you know how am I how am I ever going to add this to uh, you know all the other things I got going on uh, the book uh, as I said has been has been well received Um the purpose of the podcast is, is, is not necessarily to, to primarily market the book, but, uh, you know, it, it has been a good catalyst for things. Um, why, why were you interested in, 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 in writing and editing the book, and, and, and what drives you? I know you do a lot of speaking and, and, and articles and that sort of thing. Um, uh, what, what drives you to, to contribute even more of your time to doing that sort of educational work?
0: Yeah, I, I had to say I probably wanted to do some rift or variation of this book uh, for at least five years. Um, and I think the principal driver was uh, my first job interview. <laughs> I had a role like you know, this yeah. um, where I started getting asked questions about you know, China Ross and uh, you know, what's the REACH regulation. Have you ever heard of the packaging? We and battery directives in Europe, uh, and, and there was just nothing. Uh, not a shred of information um, and it turned out um, best will in the world all the interviews i had done all of the work i had done you know there honestly was nothing and and half of it was just trying to figure it out as you went along um, i always thought that one of the greatest contributions if you could take things that practically human beings are doing and just jot them down and say you know this is what I've done in the past, you know, it really allows people to build and to grow and to establish, you know, that next level or that next kind of tranche in the evolution of these things. Because we're just kind of hitting the first decade where a lot of these corporate social responsibility laws have started to take hold, you know, there's new enforcement mechanisms. You know, I really wanted the piece and I'm very happy with the way it turned out uh, to be a, a realization that corporate social responsibility is, is not you know, a siloed event. It's not a siloed activity within an organization. And, you know, I really think of corporate social responsibility as the core of the business um, and integrating it into uh, the workflows, you know, the design flows, you know, how a company structures itself makes it infinitely more valuable. And it actually gives value to the business as opposed to it just existing as a silo and being a cost center. Uh, where somebody puts money in hoping that they're going to get something out in return. Um, so that was really my driver, you know, really kind of being able to take that knowledge, uh, put it in a prescribed fashion and give it away to people or uh, at least put it in an accessible format. So hopefully, uh, you know, they could find value in the regs and the rules.
1: Mm-hmm. Bob, mm-hmm. well, I, I think it, it, you, you, know, you already knew and I found out as we went through the process here that, that. uh there, there is, there is, there has been a fair amount written on a lot of aspects of this, but, but, uh, in my view, you know, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, you know, what, what, why you think, uh, you know, the, the book has been, been so well received. But my view is, is that what's been missing is an attempt to sort through all of that and uh, lay it out in a way that's really actionable and, 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 and practical. You could read a lot of academic articles. You could read, there's a lot of debates in this area, you know, what's the role of business, uh, et cetera, uh, but, uh, you know, getting actionable uh, items is, is, is difficult to find. I, I, I think that's one reason why there's been interest in, it, in our particular book, which is really, which is really just a first step, uh, you know, along the way. But uh, that's probably, you know, I, you know what, what 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 your sense might be. And um, uh, I, I wondered, you know, what you thought the next step might be, both in terms of of creating practice tools like this, uh, like like you're going to do with the supply in the supply chain area, and and, and on the horizon for, for CSR law generally
0: yeah i think you really hit uh, the nail on the head there alan it's the the practicality of it um you know there's been um ample discussion over the theoreticals uh that really get down to you know why a company should act you know, what is important about these concepts uh i think we've gotten to the point where you know holistically globally most people agree that it's a good thing Um, But that's really not the question that most people have come to me, at least, in my practice, looking for. Uh, They want a much more workmanlike kind of manner. How do I do this? How have other companies done something like this? What has been successful? What hasn't? And I think that was the void uh, that this book started to fill. And I think as the new guidance documents come online and, and new content continues to be published, It's really filling in that instruction-based manual. These are the activities that have been successful. This is what peers have done. And then as it evolves and new best practices emerge and there's new ways to add value to the company, not just extract value uh, by doing these activities, that's the stuff that people are really going to thrive on as what's going to take the reader of this book uh, from being somebody who can respond to a customer being somebody who can actually add intrinsic value to the business which is very exciting because attorneys don't always get to do that
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep absolutely um you know, one of the things and, and on that note is we're looking looking forward to to working with you on on a, you know a, a new a new aba publication in the months going forward that's focusing more on supply chain management which absolutely as it's clearly been much written about uh but um you know the people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis and i'm going to ask you a little bit in a minute for sort of your 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 guidance for folks trying to get get a handle on this whole area uh, you know, they don't have the time to absorb the thousands, tens of thousands of pages and et cetera on it and they want something that they can take and, and move forward with and, and come up with, with a, with an effective, uh, end product for their clients and their directors and, and that sort of thing. So I think that's going to be, uh, very important for a very important topic. Um, but, but Travis, could you, share with us a little bit any advice that you would give to, to lawyers or, or um, business folks given responsibility over this area on, on, on how to grow their practice uh, in, in the CSR uh, legal space. What, you know, what, what, what resources should they be looking towards? How do they, how do they build that, that foundation that, that, that you've built over all these years?
0: Sure. Uh, I think the start is um, to recognize the value of your degree and your ability to think like a lawyer. Because uh, so many of the new rules that are coming at are just that. They're new. Um, and this environmental and corporate social responsibility space that we find ourselves in has created a race to the top. And that race to the top is whatever country, whatever company, adopts the most strenuous regulations, that becomes the high mark, And then everybody else has to catch up and align to it only until somebody surpasses that. There's not really a going back. I always kind of call it the myth of deregulation. If you strike down one regulation, four or five more will sp- brought up (laughs) in its steed, or they were. Um, So I think that's the magic about this space and why I would encourage, you know, lawyers to look at it. You know, we're uniquely situated to see new laws and then to tie back to historical laws and bring those practices, those ways that solutions were developed and bring them and apply them to these new rules, these new regulations that will emerge Uh, And then from there, um, become involved in the standards. You know, engage with cross-functional groups. Don't just hang with the lawyers. Uh, You know, see everybody out there and recognize that these types of rules are not as cut and dry. It's not a gift policy. Uh, You know, it's not just the ability to screen for nefarious financial transactions. It's holistically understanding the business and the businesses that which you're counseling. Uh, and then taking that information and applying your reasoning skills, your ability to apply historical activities, and then come up with solutions that are innovative and creative in a lot of ways, um, which is really going to define you and allow you to be successful in this space, particularly. No no two days are ever quite the same.
1: <laughs> That's exciting, but sometimes disconcerting, I guess, uh, Absolutely. <laughs> after a while. <laughs> They'd appreciate a routine or, or being able to, to say, yeah, I got that one, or I understand that and everything. Um, I, I, I think the other thing, if I may add, is, is is that, which we also discussed a little bit about, and I, I know that you're going to talk a bit more about in the supply chain guide that uh, you'll be doing for the ABA, is that, um, is, uh, uh, so much of what's going on is is outside of the United States. Um, you know, it, 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 there are global standards, global initiatives, and that sort of thing. So that uh, the discomfort for, say, U.S. based counsel is is magnified because he she really does have to pay attention to uh, developments that are going on outside of the U.S. Um, one because their clients are subject to those regulations and two because they sort of uh highlight you know the the future um i mean this is where it's going as you said uh, you know the the high level mark and even though uh, they may not apply at this moment in this in this time to what your client is doing um uh, inevitably, that's going to be what what they confront. So yeah, it's it's still another load of things you got to monitor and everything. Um, Travis, you know we're almost we're almost at the end of our time, but but I, what I want to do is ask if there's anything that I haven't asked you that you wish I did, um, anything um, that you wish you had a chance to write in the book, but. You couldn't because we didn't have enough pages. Um, Any big projects that you're working on uh, or hope to be working on that that you think would be useful for our our listeners to know about?
0: Yeah, uh, thank you very much. Um, So I'd say there's two big things that I would encourage all of your listeners to really focus on and pay attention to. Uh the first is that, you know, it's it's been um, you know nightmarish to a certain extent, even hellish for a lot of, you know, physical goods manufacturers, you know, people that make things, you know, chemicals and what have you. Uh over the last several decades as regulations caught up with uh, you know outsourcing and globalization, uh essentially. And a lot of the regulations are Triggered or oriented around that, everything from, you know, the uh, trade wars into you know the reaches of Rojases in Europe. Uh, we are right smack dab in the middle now of that exact same process starting to unfold in the digital economy. Uh, we're seeing it with privacy regulations. You know, we're seeing it with data transaction rules. You know, we're seeing it with uh, emerging regulations on artificial intelligence. Uh, there is a whole other area of IP regulation uh, that's going to start to develop and emerge, uh, which is a very exciting but also very scary time. But it, it's right on the cusp. So I, I would encourage people to pay very close attention to that. We all have digital assets and data uh, in this particular economy. Um, then I'd say the second thing that has really kind of piqued my interest, and you've alluded to it a couple times. Is starting to paint that picture uh, that we can't really hide behind the idea that we are a standalone business anymore. No, nobody is. You know, we're all built as a composite uh, of those businesses that happen to do some of our sourcing or that we happen to buy materials from or that we happen to use for labor practices. Uh, because we have become so global and so intertwined, um, we can't really put those blinders on ourselves any longer because businesses don't. Uh, And businesses are our clients as attorneys. So we have to think globally. We have to understand the ramifications uh, of global business operations, our supply chains, our distributors, those third parties that aren't completely encased inside of ourselves uh, because the new rules apply their liabilities to us as we become the importer of record. So I, I think that's an area that I'm really excited to talk about. That supply chain guidance book that we're going to come up with is really going to explore that with a lot of fun and a lot of excitement.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Sounds good. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And, and, and Travis, I want to thank you again for, for participating today. And, of course, I want to thank all of you out there for listening. Um, I hope you'll join me for other programs in the series. And you can find information about the series, all of my guests, and the desk book, as well as resources on series topics provided by the contributors at my website, um, com. In addition, um, each of the contributors to the series, including Travis, uh, are welcome to uh, post uh, their podcasts uh, on their own websites and uh, uh, I very much encourage all of you to uh, to go to the Ascent Compliance website, um, www.ascentcompliance.com, uh, because Travis and his team have already posted a great library of uh, materials on on the things that they do uh, that we discussed today and. Uh, I think it's a great place for for all of you to start in your educational process or learn or, or, or learn more about uh, what you already know. So please, so please do that as well. If you have any questions for me or any of our guests, you can send me an email at alan at gmail dot com. So long for now, and I hope to be talking to you again soon. And, and Travis, once again, thanks for participating, and uh, a good day to everyone.
0: Thanks, Alan.